baptisms, there's new babies, there's new members. John got to preach. Mike preached. I, I don't, I've never heard Mike preach. I heard fabulous jobs all the way around. And um, for many of you that thought I was joking before I left and said, when I get back, we're going to Leviticus. We're going to Leviticus, folks. Uh, we're, we're here. And so uh, we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 1 and chapter 5 today. Um, so you're going to want to find both those places. So chapter 1 is found in your pew Bible on page 96. And chapter 5 is just a page over on page 99. Um, so we'll be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and then chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, I believe. Again, that's Leviticus chapter 1, 1 through 9, and Leviticus 5, 1 through 10. And there it's written. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it into the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces, and the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire on the altar, but its entrails and legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And now in chapter 5. If anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify... And though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal, or a carcass of an unclean livestock, or a carcass of an unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him, and he has become unclean, and he realizes his guilt... Or if he touches human uncleanliness of whatever sort, the uncleanliness may be with which one becomes unclean. And it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt. Or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and he realizes his guilt in any of these, 
When he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him and his sin. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed two turtle doves or two pigeons. One for a sin offering and the other a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest who shall offer first the one for the sin offering. And he shall wring its head from its neck, but shall not sever it completely. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. Then he shall... Offer the second for a burnt offering according to the rule, and the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you would please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Okay, I don't want to alarm anyone in here right now, everyone in the room. It's, it's come to my attention that the person sitting directly to your right has sin in their life. Also, the person on your left has sin in their life. Also, the person sitting in the very seat you are inhabiting at this moment. <laughs> Mike, you can't move out of it. <laughs> in fact, we all have sin in our life. We have a, a, a sin nature. To be perfect is to be one without sin. And none of us can claim to be perfect. In Leviticus... As Moses writes what God is instructing him to tell the priest and to tell the people of Israel, we will see that God is indeed holy, that God is perfect. God is himself without blemish, without sin in his life. He cannot violate his own character. And so God is holy, and, and he has in his holiness a he, an inability to withstand others' unholiness. And so he requires that his people be without sin, that they would pursue holiness, that they would pursue purity. And so God, who is holy and and we know that it's our sin, it's our rebellion against God, it's our, it's our fleshly desires to go and make ourself God of our lives that makes people unholy and therefore separates us from God, moves us away at a distance. And this, folks, is our basic human condition. We chuckle at it, but we know that it is true. 
We're sitting here because we understand that it is sin that has brought us to this very place. Sin in the grace of God. It's our condition and has been the human condition since the fall of Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden. And so as we journey through Leviticus, we're going to go through Leviticus not verse by verse. You can all breathe a sigh of relief. But we're going to, it's more of an overview for five weeks. We're going to go through Leviticus for five weeks. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to consider God's law that, that he gives to his people here in Leviticus. Their rituals, their worship, their, their cleanliness laws, their dietary laws, their morality laws. And, and we're going to see how God in his law demands holy living for his people. But by going through it, Hopefully we will notice a few things along the way that we'll see God's desire for holiness demonstrated, that we'll take note of the completely unbearable weight that we often put on our own shoulders to be a good enough person to get in heaven on what we That we'll be able to see the, the shadow that is a, a foundation, an implication that, that we can see the shadow that points to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that finally, we would be brought to our knees in worship, in awe of our holy God who loves us and gives us unending grace. So as we begin to look here at Leviticus, it starts after Exodus. So, so Exodus takes God's people out of Egypt, led by Moses, across the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness. They've now built the tent of meeting. The tabernacle is now constructed. It moves along with them. And here they are at the foot of Mount Sinai, at the tent of meeting. And God is giving instructions to Moses to instruct the priests and his people, to instruct them with how they are to worship how they are to make sacrifices, how they are to become pure, what uncleanliness looks like, to give them instructions about the day of atonement, to, to give them instructions about feast and other holy days. And so when we begin there in chapter 1, jump straight in. Jump straight into their sacrificial system, which is located in these first seven chapters. This sacrificial system that God designs for his people. And there's a burnt offering that we read about in chapter 1. And then we jump to chapter 5 and we begin hearing about a sin offering. And in between, there's a, a grain offering, there's drink offering, there's food offering. After sin offering, there's a trespass Offering and, you, and you're going, well, at one time I heard someone say trespasses, sins, and debts are all kind of meaning the same thing. This begins to get a bit confusing. How do we distinguish the different sacrifices, the different offerings? What are they to mean? Well, for us, we don't put too much time and thought into it because 
We're not living under this covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, where we are to make these sacrifices, where we are to make these offerings. But all of these offerings are a part of the shadow that points to the Christ, points to our Messiah and Jesus. And so a burnt offering, to, to understand the difference between burnt offering and sin offering, a burnt offering is the most commonly talked about offering throughout all of Scripture. It's mentioned 197 times. And so we might want to pay a bit of attention to it. In fact, this offering was one that was completely voluntary. It, it wasn't a requirement. It wasn't under an obligation that they were to go and make a burnt offering. A burnt offering takes... a, a a bull from your herd that is without blemish. And, and the whole thing, the whole offering, it's the only one to be totally consumed at the altar. No part of it was to be distributed to the priests as it was with other offerings. All of it there would burn on the offering. And, and this offering offered an aroma that was pleasing to the Lord. And it was pleasing to the Lord because this offering wasn't under obligation. It wasn't under a requirement. It came as a voluntary offering and demonstrated total surrender to the Lord. For an unblemished bull of your herd, that's your top prize. That is your money maker. That is your stud in which allows you to have bigger herds of higher quality and to go and to sacrifice your very best, and give all of it, not even keep any for yourself or for the priest, to give all of it to the Lord, <coughs> demonstrates total surrender. And then we come across the sin offering. A sin offering was not voluntary. It was required. Once you became aware of your guilt... As we would say, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, in that moment, we become aware of our sin and aware of our guilt of committing a sin against God. It was required. And the smell from this offering didn't have a sweet savor. It wasn't a pleasing aroma to God. For this offering dealt directly with the sinner and the problem of their sin. It was a required payment. God required it of his people. For he didn't want unclean people. He wanted people pursuing holiness, people pursuing purity. He wanted his people to reflect his holiness. For we know this, God is holy. And it's sin that defiles us. In fact, we understand, especially when we read chapter 5 and it talks about being unclean and the uncleanliness of other things. We understand that it's, when we sin, we, we feel dirty. We feel a grime when we become aware of it. We feel a grime as if it is attached to us. And no matter how much we do on our own, Apart from God, it, the, the smell and the grime from sin that we've committed, if, if we're not going to God with it, it's almost as if we slapped a skunk and it sprayed us all the way, and now we can't get rid of that smell. It's everywhere we go. 
but it's with God that we are able to deal with our sin nature. See, even thinking about sins we've committed in the past or our own sin can make us feel dirty. But not always. Not always. Sometimes, in fact, we will boast and brag about sins we've committed as if it is a a badge of honor. You know, I remember this one time, we'll say. As we go through Leviticus, we can hear God telling Moses how he's holy and he cannot stand his people to be defiled by sin. And so it's in his mercy. It's in his mercy and and his loving kindness that he gives his people this sacrificial system, which is is incomplete. It's one sacrifice at a time over and over and over again. If this was still going on today, I would not have a herd or a turtle dove or a pigeon. I wouldn't have a, a flower to sacrifice to God for my sin is too great and too persistent. But in God's mercy and grace, he didn't just do away with his people or swallow them up into the earth. He gave them these sacrifices, these offerings, to work towards making things right with him. In Leviticus 4, God says that the sin offering is to be one without blemish, right? So, so it's perfect by every observable, observable way. This offering was to be without blemish. The best of the best. Nothing wrong with it because it took a perfect animal sacrifice to cleanse his people for a moment. And it would take only perfect sacrifice of Jesus to cleanse us for eternity. And it's in that without blemish, it's one of those shadows we see painting the picture of our Messiah. For he came and and, and we're told when he puts on flesh and he grew and he lived, When he died, he was without sin. See, at the very beginning, we all chuckled. We laughed when I told you the person to your right has sin in their life. Chuckled even when we talked about it in our own seat. Because we know it's true. We do have sin in our life. None of us are perfect. That was only... Jesus. And and we all have this sin problem that we can do nothing about without the help of God. And it's what we begin to see in Leviticus. We begin to see how how God, in his loving kindness and his patience and his grace, helps his people, loves his people. For us, our salvation is is not something we can attain on our own. We can't overcome the the weight and the blemish and the defilement sin has put in our lives. We can't get rid of that smell of the skunk that we slapped. 
For our salvation is 100% dependent on the person and work of Jesus Christ. For when God sees us, he sees not our uncleanliness and our blemishes. He sees not our sin and our defilement, but he sees the perfect righteousness of his son who stands in our place before him and intercedes on our behalf. For it is Jesus Christ who shed his blood that we may have our sins washed away. That this blood from these sacrifices that was thrown on the altar was meant to cleanse them but for a moment. And we come to this table, the Lord's table every Sunday, not to make a sacrifice for what we did this morning or what we did yesterday or the things we said on Tuesday, but we come to this table to remember that our God, yes, is holy and he is great and he is our creator, but our God loves us. That Paul writes that while we were yet sinners, in the midst of rebelling against God and covering ourselves with uncleanliness, God sent his son to live and to die on the cross. And this proves God's love for us, Paul writes. See, God's people here in Leviticus, as we begin to see this, we begin to see that Their sin was to be confessed and dealt with continually, and they had to work at it. It was still a system that they had to work at. God has graced us with a Savior who gave his life once for all. No more Sacrifices are needed to cleanse us from our sins. For we, because of Christ, are his forever. And it's a wonderful thing. The world around us, though, they try and teach us differently about what goodness looks like. God is holy. And as we'll read throughout scripture, we'll see God has his ways and his ways are not always the ways that man in the world has come up with. For what God calls sin, sometimes man celebrates and calls good. And we'll see that as we go through Scripture continually throughout our lives. And there'll be times where we'll kick back against what God has said. And we'll go, but that doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right because the world around us is trying to teach us something other than what God is trying to teach us. But because... We serve a holy God, a holy God who in his loving kindness and patience has loved us and graced us with his mercy. A God whose word is infallible, that that our emotions are oftentimes wrong. We create stories in our own head and, and begin to live them out without all of the truth. And when we butt heads with our emotions with God's word, 
It's really hard to do, but we're to submit to God's word. We're not to live in our own defilement, in our own sin, and call it good. We're to pursue holiness, pursue purity. Not because it saves us, but because in doing so, it glorifies our great Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen.